when it comes to hiring and representation in logistics, it's time to break the bias. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Entrepreneurs are many different things, but they have at least one quality in common. They don't seek the easy path. Starting and growing a company is one of the biggest challenges in business, even more so if you're an ambitious woman in a world traditionally dominated by men and determined to promote diversity within the ranks of your own organization. All of which sums up the experience of my guest today. She is Donna van der Heide, co-founder and chief commercial officer of Parcel Perform, a parcel delivery experience platform. On this episode, she talks about what it's like to exit a promising corporate career to start a business, how being a female leader has affected her success, how she's ensuring diversity in hiring in multiple regions of the world, and how to get your startup funded by investors in uncertain times. Here's my conversation with Donna von der Heide. Donna van der Heide, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me. You moved from a corporate role to that of an entrepreneur. I am wondering, what does it take to do that? Does it take a different mindset? Often it takes a completely different person to do those two different roles. And I'm just wondering what it required for you to make the jump from an everyday corporate job to actually starting a company. Yeah, that's a very good one. And I can't say it was a super easy choice because I was actually quite happy in my corporate career. I loved the company that I'm working with. I had a great career path there, but I just kept feeling something is missing. And as soon as we started our business now, Path Perform, I also knew exactly what it was, the autonomy, the speed, the opportunity to select your own team. All these are things that absolutely fascinate me in startup life. And obviously, if you're in a corporate role, you don't have them that much. And yeah, I've been very, very grateful that as soon as you become your own boss, you obviously have a lot of different small little tasks to do, but you also have a lot more opportunity to really shape your everyday life, the people that you're working around. And uh, that has proven to be the right career path for me. And of course, the price of that is being involved in your company 24-7. I mean, I'm sure you had no illusions about the amount of work that was going to be required when you decided to do this. Yeah, although I have to admit, it always turns out more work than you actually think it would be. And especially at the beginning of your startup journey, you'll find yourself doing the smallest nitty-gritty task, but it's just what it takes to really get to the stage where you can hopefully also get other people to support you on that. So how do you get started when it comes to funding? Where do you go first to get the money to start up? Yeah, that's a super interesting one, you know. And when we started our business, we were on an even different continent than the one that I knew of. I'm German, you can probably hear it. We started our business in Asia. And I very quickly learned that on the one hand, you really need a network. Approaching investors to invest into your business, you probably need best case a warm introduction. You can write a lot of emails, but to really find an investor that's ready to spend the time Over time, I learned that a warm introduction is real gold because if you get recommended by another founder or by another investor, it immediately opens you a lot of doors. 
So when we started our business, it took us a while to navigate the industry. It's not necessarily a very transparent one. So we had to figure out who's the right investor for us. We had to get like good introductions from other founders or other investors. And then also, in the end, investing is a bit like dating, too. It's a two-sided match. You're not just looking for the money. You're also looking for someone that supports your vision for the company. But we've always been very kind of fortunate to find the right investors for our business as well. How long a process was it from the moment you decided to do this to the moment you were able to secure sufficient funding to get started? Yeah, that's a good question. So the first answer to this is it always takes longer than you think, specifically if you get started and you don't have the network yet. So I think to be safe, you should at least expect to be fundraising for six months. That's at least our experience. Obviously, we see in the market new investors. Tiger Global is a good example that move extremely fast from the first conversation to the final check. But historically, with majority of the investors, we see that it takes a longer time. You get to know each other. You kind of view the traction of the business over time. You negotiate the term sheet. You have some legal involvement. So from the moment you start the conversation until you really have the money in the bank, it will probably easily take six months. Six months doesn't seem like a long time to me. I mean, I hear about (laughs) entrepreneurs taking years to get their business off and running. That's actually pretty good. I don't know if you had benchmarked against others who had started companies. Had you spoken to other people who had done this and and who were able to give you advice and mentor you in making the right steps towards starting up? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really important first step to kind of navigate the market. While you start a business, in our case, we also did it for the first time. You really need to understand how the dynamics work, how you fundraise. When I talk about six months, I obviously mean our last round, our Series A round. Back then, we were already profitable. So it depends also very much on what stage of a business you're in. If you're in a high growth industry that is very much on the radar of investors and you have a bit of traction to show, I think you can manage to close around in six months. Obviously, if there's nothing to show other than a slide deck and you still have a product to build, I agree with you. It probably takes you much longer than that. Now, you say you started in Asia. I believe you're based in Singapore. Is that correct? I used to be. Actually, the last seven years I lived in Singapore. By now, I moved back to Europe, uh, mainly because we saw our business expanding. We built a naturally global business, and and we saw a lot of growth across Europe, but also the U.S., so time zone-wise and for our work-life balance, it was a bit better to be right in the middle of it for me to be able to Mm -hmm. cater to the colleagues across all of our offices as well. So officially, Parcel Perform is headquartered now where? Our headquarter continues to be in Singapore. This is where the majority of our teams are sitting. But we actually have quite a few offices now in Vietnam and in Germany. And we are also looking to set up shop in the U.S. as well. Why Singapore? Well, Singapore is, for many reasons, a really, really powerful spot to get started. First of all, we are in the area of e-commerce logistics, which is in high growth, super fast growing and has been like really a starting ground also for mobile adoption. So that was a fantastic place to start. Secondly, obviously, Singapore within Asia is a melting pot of cultures, while also being a very safe place to live in. So work-life balance has also been very great. And thirdly, if you're looking for investors, obviously, the finance industry is very big in Singapore. It became a central hub for not just a lot of customer, but also for a lot of venture capital firms. So it's a really good starting ground to double down on as a business when you want to settle in Asia. So what was it like to be a woman founding a company looking for money to start up? Did you find yourself at any disadvantage or for that matter, at any advantage? What was your experience in that way? 
Yeah, very interesting one. I think what probably might be relevant to my case is I was not just a first-time female founder, but I was a female founder in a logistics industry, which is historically very male-dominated, with a business idea that is mainly focused on software. So for me, it was a super exciting time. I think I had the benefit of knowing the industry, the logistics industry, relatively well from my past experiences. But obviously, software was also a new area for me. And so I think... As a first-time founder, navigating is not that easy. Um, trying to figure out who to speak to, who is the right fit. Yeah, I mean, we saw a lot of challenges, but also a lot of opportunities, especially if I look at the fundraising industry now. I think people are slowly starting to understand that having female founders in your investment portfolio is actually a huge opportunity and something that they should look at more into. Uh, at the very beginning, seven years ago, that wasn't so much of a prominent topic yet. So obviously it helped that I also had a co-founder, Arne, who I started the business with. So we were a really good team to approach investors together and I didn't have to fundraise all by myself. How important is it that women be among the investing community? We know that very few, relatively few venture capital firms are staffed by women in leading positions. Do you think it's important or was that the case in, in terms of where you went for money or not? Yeah, I'm so glad you're asking. And, you know, I wish I could say, yes, obviously, I would always choose the female investor first. Why? On the one hand, majority of the customer groups in e-commerce are female. So having females investing in this area that they understand so super well would be a huge benefit to everyone in this ecosystem. But the reality is that if you were to just double down to find female investors, you would probably search for a very long time because, like you said, there's not as many out there. And I see it as a downside. I would obviously be much more encouraged to find like a female counterpart on the investment side someone to connect with, someone where it's naturally also a little bit easier to network with. But the reality is we haven't seen many of them, but uh, I'm hoping for this to change over the next few years. Do you see any difference in the receptiveness of investors and, for that matter, the business community toward a woman, toward a female leader in Asia versus Europe versus the United States? Ultimately, I don't really think so. It all depends on the people on the other side, meaning either the investing or the founder side. And the great thing about Asia, for example, is that it is such an international melting pot. You have people from so many cultures, industries, backgrounds, ethnicities and religions even that I don't think being a female has been so much of a topic. Obviously, only sitting in front of male investors, uh, you have the same experience across all the other regions. So yes and no. I, I feel especially the diversity that we saw in Asia made it a lot easier because there was a culture where people are a lot more used to it. At the same time, mm -hmm. if you look into the logistics investments, you would obviously feel find a lot of male investors. And uh, also this is probably the same all around the globe, unfortunately. Interesting. I would have thought differently. I would have thought, and this might just be a prejudice on my part, I would have thought that things would be more conservative in Asia and there'd be less receptiveness toward women in, in a position such as yours. But you, you seem to be saying that was not the case. You're saying you feel it would be less supportive of women when fundraising in Asia? That's just the feeling I would get. I would feel like those were more conservative societies, more male-dominated societies. But tell me I'm wrong. I mean, is that not that wasn't the case? 
Yeah, no, I have to disagree, actually, because I think the fascinating thing about Asia is it's a new industry, right? Uh, it's a booming market. You have a lot more younger people coming in, which then also make it more likely there would be some female leaders um, also in the investing committees. Even a lot of the fintech verticals, which is really striving, for example, in Singapore, but also in Hong Kong, you see a lot more females. Whereas if you look at more established industries where people are already acting in this for quite a long time, an industry like like the US, I think you would be more inclined to have the old white male uh, situations than uh, what we actually experience in Asia. Interesting. So how long has it been? Seven years, you say, since you launched the company? Exactly. Seven years. It was a very wild ride. <laughs> and still is, I imagine. It's not ever going to stop being a wild ride in this business. But just to get back to the idea of how have you seen the evolution of women in logistics, female leaders in this industry since the time you launched Parcel Perform? Have you seen progress across the board? Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, not really, if I'm very honest. Uh, obviously, now with Parcel Perform, we're an industry um, as a SaaS player, software as a service, where we have a lot more touch point with um, the e-commerce customers that we're serving to, as well as a lot of the software companies that we're also working with. But if you look into the traditional logistics industry, I think we see here and there some really positive movements where we see some more females appearing. But especially if you look into like leadership appointments in the logistics industry, there's still a lot of room for improvement, I would say. I don't know. I, I just came back from an industry conference on transportation and logistics, and for three days I saw a steady stream, in terms of the speakers, a steady stream of 60-year-old white men. And uh, I didn't see a lot yeah. of women up there uh, speaking from a position of authority and experience. And I thought to myself, maybe we haven't come that far, but maybe it's also a question of... Maybe it just takes time to reach certain levels of leadership so that then you can turn around and be a mentor to other women coming up. Do you think we're going to have it's just going to take years for that? Or do we need to somehow accelerate the position of women higher in the organization? No, absolutely. We have to accelerate that. But if we just wait for this to naturally happen, then I think we're going to have to wait for a very long time. So my answer mm -hmm. to this is that I really believe we need role models for females to be able to kind of uh, embrace leadership, to get the encouragement that they can actually do it. We need to make sure that we promote females in leadership. On the one hand, having role models, having people to look up to, females to look up to that inspire us to follow their path is the key opportunity here. But the other one is also to have champions within the company that help promote females. So I very much believe that whoever realizes that there should be more females on stage and more females in leadership should kind of uh, try to be a part of their development. And the best way to do that is to identify a few females around you that you believe kind of deserved uh, to get through the next step in their uh, career and to help to champion their career path for them to actually get there. I believe you have a tag on your LinkedIn next to your picture that says, we're hiring. So yeah. it sounds like you're very much in a growth mode at Parcel Perform, and indeed you are looking for talent. Is it, first of all, is that true? Secondly, what's it look like out there in terms of the people who come to you to apply for jobs? What kind of balance do you see? Are there a lot of women out there who are looking for jobs? Is there diversity out there that allows you to practice that diversity in your own organization? Yeah, absolutely. We're very much hiring. Actually, we are currently on the path to doubling down our teams across all the offices. 
And we already have pretty diverse teams. So I think as Passive Perform, you know, and being a female founder myself, we wanted to make it a real point to have very diverse teams, not just when it comes to gender, where we achieved almost 50-50% equality, but also when it comes to like ethnic backgrounds, nationalities. So by now we have 16 different nationalities and 18 different languages across the 140 people that we employ. But yeah, it's hard to find females and sometimes it takes a little bit longer. And I don't think it's the case that there's not enough female talent out there. I think it's more of a case of being patient and approaching them right. If we kind of uh, look at job descriptions, females have a tendency to feel like they shouldn't apply if they don't match 100% of all the requirements. So it's about up on us on, on, and everyone hiring to also proactively approach females. We do this a lot with active hiring, where we kind of identify talent in the market. We try to approach them and encourage them to apply for the jobs and also to be patient. Obviously, there is a gender bias and you would obviously get a lot of kind of male-dominated applications. So we sometimes make mm-hmm. the sacrifice and uh, take a little longer to feel, fill a role just to make sure that we have enough opportunity to gather enough female talent for the same role as well. One of the experiences of a successful founder such as yourself is that as your company grows, you have less visibility to everybody in the company. I mean, it's harder to get to know everybody. It's harder to have control over what's happening throughout the organization. You're no longer tasked with those little problems that you described to me at the beginning of this conversation. You have the big ones. So do you think that'll be a challenge for you? Has it already become a challenge for you just keeping an eye on everything that's going on in your company and making sure that the entire organization is practicing these goals and diversity that you just described to me? Yeah, I think if I would try to control everything that goes on in the company, I would not get any sleep anymore. So I think one of the key kind of things I had to learn is also to let go. And it's extremely important to be able to trust your team to kind of continue on your vision. But I think it's also the role of the founders of a business to make sure that it's tightly ingrained into the business. We need to make sure everyone is aware of the culture that we want to achieve. And it's not just a poster on your watch, but it's something that we very, very actively live on. And for us, that means to also define what sort of team spirit, what sort of cultural attributes we are looking for someone that we're hiring and not just go on their CV and check for skills, but to really actually check for team fit, how open they are to feedback back, which is something that is very important for us, and make sure that we have diversity in every aspect, not just gender, but really skills, experiences, backgrounds that you're coming from. So I think as long as we operationalize this, and again, we really don't just make it a poster on the wall, we can make sure that the teams around us are growing into this role and living the vision that we defined for the business. It can still be a difficult and challenging industry, so I'm wondering if there's any message you'd like to share with aspiring female leaders out there in the world of logistics and technology and software and the like. What do you have to say? I mean, there's so many things uh, to say, but there's one thing that we always put on our wards in every office that we have, which is uh, with hustle and heart, everything is possible. And I really came to believe that this is true. So uh, for everyone out there that thinks you want to start your own business, you want to change an industry, you believe you have something to say or something to contribute, trust yourself. Uh, Trust in yourself, trust in the power that you have, as long as you're passionate about what you want to do and you're ready to put in the extra effort and time. I think we all have seen cases around you if we look close enough that this is possible. So I would just encourage everyone to trust in your gut, work your way out there and build the business that you always dreamed of. Uh, You might as well try it out and you will find yourself being successful in it. 
Hustle and heart. What would that be in German? That's a very good question. By now, my brain works in English, so I need to come back to you on that one. <laughs> okay. Donna von der Heide of Parcel Perform, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much for telling me a little bit about your story and the prospects for other aspiring founders and, and women and diverse candidates that want to enter this industry. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for having me and making this an important topic on your podcast. I think every female out there is very much appreciating that as well. And let's give a little bit of publicity to your own podcast. It's called what? It's called The Logistics Tribe. Unfortunately, I didn't have enough time to really work on that lately, but we have some exciting episodes in the pipeline. So feel free to check us out on Spotify, for example. I hope our listeners will. Thanks again, Donna, very much. Thank you. That was my conversation with Donna van der Heide of Parcel Perform, talking about the experience of being a female entrepreneur in logistics. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.